Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. Eleanor Tomlinson secured her first film role at the age of 11 with Edward Norton and Jessica Biel in The Illusionist. But it was 10 years later that she landed the part that would bring her firmly into the public consciousness, playing Demelza in the BBC adaptation of Winston Graham's Paul Dark novels. I caught up with her during lockdown to hear all about her experiences over five series of the acclaimed drama. Hey, so Eleanor, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. And we're here to talk about uh, the Melzer in uh, Paul Dark, obviously, which is a role that you're you did for five years. Is that right? Yeah, long time. But uh, just to take you back before then, I mean, I know you come, you're, you've got acting in your family and stuff like that. But you first was on a film set when you were what about eleven? Is that right? Yeah, I did my first job when I was eleven. So um, I've and yeah, as you said, my mum, my dad, my brother—they're all actors. So I've grown up in a very uh, loud acting family. So it's um, yeah, I'm, I've just been very lucky to be honest. I was lucky to get started when I did, and then just kind of went up from there. So did that mean that when you first walked onto a film set, you sort of knew what it was like? Had you been on a film set as like as a civilian, so to speak, in the past? As yeah, well? I'd been to visit my dad when he was filming, um, and I remember just being fascinated by it and and loving it. And everyone was so nice to me, of course, because I was just a little girl. And you know, I came onto set and they're like, "Oh, let's make a fuss of Malcolm's daughter." So it was it was just great. And then I I. I, there's a story online about it. It gets rehashed all the time, but his agent came over for dinner and I refused to let her leave unless she'd represent me. So pushy kid. But uh, yeah, um, I, within a couple of months, I got my first tiny job. And I, I don't think I knew really what I was doing or, or you know, I just I just knew that I'd I'd got this job and that it was such a tiny little role but it was just so exciting and my mum was there chaperoning me so it was just a real question of just watching and and learning from everyone around me. And were there um, big surprises for you from what you thought it would be like to what it was like? I think I think the surprises have come 
just as I've got to know the business more and the industry more and working with different people within it. And there's always surprises. I think that's what keeps it interesting and learning. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of at a point where I'm, I'm sort of deciding, you know, would I be interested in directing at some point or producing? And I think I'm leaning more towards producing because then I can make the stuff that I want to see as well. Um, I don't think I particularly have a director's vision, but I know certainly when I'm doing self-tape auditions where you have to do it yourself in your own living room and you've got piles of books with your camera on, it's just hell. But I'm so critical of that as well. And I think that I've learned a lot from both helping other people tape and taping myself and and learning from directors and what I need from a director and 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 also just about the material that's out there I'm sort of yeah more interested in in supporting stories that need to be told as well yes, I think that's I think that's a really great sort of place to be putting yourself is just having you know not not in any controlling way but looking at the type of stories that you want to tell I think that's really important so let me just take you back to Paul Dark. I mean, you've done lots of television work before then. Just tell me, when did you first hear that they were doing, uh, they were redoing Paul Dark? Um, I was asked to audition for the role of Elizabeth uh, in this series called Paul Dark. I didn't know anything about it beforehand, uh, but obviously I quickly did my research and realised it had been a phenomenally successful series beforehand. And... Uh, and I just immediately sort of, I got hold of a copy of the first book and I started reading it and I thought, wow, it's, I mean, there's there's so much in this, but the role is Demelza for me. Like I, I've done so much period drama as well that I felt that I really had to push myself to do something different. And, um, and I, I would just, yeah, I had worked with, the producing team on a project before so I didn't know them but I knew of them and um and so I was able to say to my agent like oh you know can we can we just try and get me in the door for Demelza and and eventually they said yeah okay why not we don't think she's right for it but you know whatever and I went in and then suddenly you know you're three rounds in and then you're doing chemistry tests and I just I I never expected to get it um and I still pinch myself, to be honest. I think, oh, my God, five years later, five series, what an experience, what a character to take on that journey. And the lessons I've learned over five years of portraying the same character, but also just learning on the job. It's been a complete gift. But that's really interesting that you're there for one character. You do a bit of research in, you know, reading the book, stuff like that. And you see another character that you're attracted to. And you decide to really go for that. I mean, I think that's, does that come out of having played characters like Elizabeth before? Or did you just feel that the, what was going on with the Malzi you wanted to explore differently? Because they're both, you know, very big parts in the show. What was it that made you want to uh, pursue a different character in this series? It was just, like I said, having done quite a lot of period drama, I feel like I've played roles similar to Elizabeth before. And certainly, you know, women's women's 
roles in period dramas, it's often very kind of similar, you know, sort of ladies of the manor, corsets, looking perfect, looking serene. And for me, this character just stood out as as well as being in a period drama, as well as be, having the the ties of, of being in a certain period. You had a free sort of energy to be able to do whatever you wanted with her because she's learning from those around her and she hasn't come from that. And and so that was just immediately appealing to me because I was able to think, oh, I could really transform myself here and transform, you know, everything that I've done before and, and just do something very different. I think that's very important because sometimes we can be put into a box and you have to work very hard to get people to see you differently. And yes. I've, I do it myself sometimes when I'm casting or when I'm thinking of actors, I think, oh, they do that. So to, re, to, to sort of represent yourself to the casting people, the producers, that's a really important and brave thing for you to do. Yeah, it was, it was very nerve wracking. And I think that I did something that I, I hadn't done before um, in that I went to the audition in character. So I, even in the waiting room, I stayed in character as Demelza. I dressed in a way that, you know, normally you sort of, well, normally before I'd gone to an audition and, and I tried to show that there was a bit of me in case they didn't like what they'd seen and they wanted to change it. But then I, with that one, I just, I wore all my brother's clothes. I didn't wear any makeup. I didn't brush my hair for about three days. And I sort of, you know, just stayed in, in character in the, in the waiting room. And I think that that, that helped in a weird way. And I'm, I'm always skeptical of when actors tell stories about that because I think, oh no, it's, it makes me cringe a bit. But at the same time, it is the best way to just completely convince people that you don't know that you are this, this character, that you can be this person. And so... So that was that was really interesting. And since that, I now go into every audition as the character and don't break that until I get the job or if I get the job and then I introduce myself properly, you know, so it's... And in that first audition, are you meeting... Uh, were you meeting, uh, you know, like Debbie or the producers or are you just meeting the casting director? How did that first audition go? It was just Susie Paris, the casting director, um, and she's just so lovely. I've known her for years, so immediately she puts you at ease, and uh, and that that was great. But initially, yeah, the, so the first audition was just with her, and then I went on, and then I met the producers, and then there was another chemistry read with Aiden, and we had to do the scene in series one with the the blue dress. And of course, it's just the strangest thing. I'd never met Aiden before. I didn't know who he was. I bumped into him in the waiting room. He'd walk past me and I hadn't got a clue that that was the guy I'd be spending the next five years, you know, in, in an on-screen relationship with. So it was it was just very interesting. And, and they always pick the scenes that are romantic at, at their height. And, and I think chemistry reads to sort of to see if there's chemistry between you but also to see are you a good height for each other do you look good together so a lot of it is out of your hands as well um but do you get nervous in those uh like screen tests and stuff and chemistry reads and stuff and if so how do you deal with those those nerves that you have in the, in, the, in those early stages if I get nervous in a chemistry read, it's because I haven't done enough work on the character. I haven't done enough 
research. Obviously, there's there's nerves of, oh, I want to do well here. But it's more an apprehensive sort of flutter of excitement mm-hmm. than nerves. And so I actually really relish the opportunity to go into a screen test or a chemistry test or anything like that. But, you know, sometimes they catch you off guard. I auditioned for years ago when I was about, I don't know, 19, 20. Um, I auditioned for a film called Jupiter Ascending and I went to this big studio and it was a big Hollywood movie and I had all my hair and makeup done and and I was just terrified I was just out of my depth and I suddenly felt like oh no I I can't do this I'm really frightened and I forgot all my lines and I just left feeling like an idiot and didn't get the part quite rightly but I think the more confidence you have even if it's an OCD extent which is what I would say I have when it comes to approaching a character and how much research you do into it I think that if you've got the character behind you and a very clear, you know, vision of what you want to do with the character, when you go into an audition, there's no need to be nervous because it's just your interpretation. And there's nothing wrong with that. It might not be what they're looking for, but it doesn't mean that you're wrong. That's great. And also that thing with Poldock, of course, there are the books, which is wonderful, the Winston Graham books. But what? how much uh, information did you have with the script before you went in? I mean, did you have the whole script? Did you just have scenes or...? I think I had, like, the first three episodes or something. Um, so I hadn't... Yeah, I didn't have the the whole thing, certainly not at audition one. I think by the time I did the screen test, I had all of them because Debbie was brilliant in that way in that we had all of the scripts before we started filming which is so rare in terms of television nowadays you know you can start something and you know we've we've all been on projects where you don't know what happens to your character you're just sort of given a log line and you say oh okay so that happens now fine but um it was amazing because it, it before you started filming you were able to completely track the character's path and that was so important with Demelza because she goes on such a journey um but yeah, in, in the initial audition, I, I think I'd only had one script, if that, so... And obviously this audition was successful, but in the past when you've got knockbacks or things that haven't gone well in auditions, how how has that affected you? How do you pick yourself up from that or brush it off? You know, it's it's something that actors have to go through all the time, isn't it? Yeah, it's very it's very tough, that one. I think it all comes down to... The, the kind of lifestyle that you have at home, I'm very good at separating myself from this business. I don't, I don't really, I, I, most of my friends are actors because it's the nature of the business, but none of them know each other. I don't have a big sort of group. I'm very uh, quiet and private and I tend to stay away from the industry and the business and the sort of I don't, I don't know how to describe it. But the, yeah, yeah. Say again? The red carpet bit sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I go to them to a certain extent and it's really important to promote uh, the work that you've done, but it's not a real world and it's not something that it's not the reason that I do my job. I think sometimes so, uh, having, having sat on the other side of the table as a director and done auditioning, which is very strange. Yeah. It's that thing of if you don't get a job, it's important not to take it personally yeah it is it really is and and you have to be able to I always spend a day or two or depending on how far I've got with the job you know sometimes it's 
it's been months of, of auditions. You have to take time to feel sad about it. But at the same time, use that into another project, into something else, be creative, read something else. You know, I think so much of acting is about teaching yourself and your off time is about sort of honing your craft and learning subtleties. And, you know, you never stop learning as an actor. Um, and that I think is, is, is crucial to the healing process of getting over something as well. I think you have to just plow that energy into something else and, and absolutely grieve it. But I'm such a believer in if it was meant for you, it won't pass you by. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange mentality to, to stick to and to, to truly believe in. But I, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And also, I think, you know, as an actor, you have to get used to rejection, to people saying no and, you know, use the power of that really sometimes, uh, you know, definitely. Yeah. So you, you know, you do your chemistry read for this, uh, for Paul Dog, and then you get the job. From the, from the point of where you're told it's your role to the first day of walking on set, how much time did you have there between those two points? There was quite a bit of time there, which was crucial for me. Uh, I was able to read, I think I read the first two novels, certainly, because the second novel is called Demelza, obviously, so I'd, I'd read that. If not even three, I may have read all three novels before starting. And did you watch any of the 70s TV show? I didn't. I watched bits of it, but I didn't want to just basically take off Anne Harrod Rees. She was she was fantastic in in her role and her portrayal of Demelza was was brilliant and so beautiful, but I didn't want to just copy her even if I didn't know I was doing it you know sometimes I think for me I'll watch something or it's that thing if you hear an accent and you suddenly start speaking in that accent and you don't know why it's it's very irritating for everyone around you but um but I, I didn't want to I didn't want to just give the same performance as as her I wanted to do something different with it so I watched bits of it sort of to pay tribute to her really and and I think you know I think she was absolutely brilliant in the role. Um, so you read the you, re, you read the novels, and do you do any other further reading, reading historical reading? Yeah, well, actually, I, I, I'd sort of known a bit about the time because of other period dramas that I worked on, but I did absolutely, and also Cornwall at that time. It's a very different uh, history, and so that was very interesting. And um, and they're incredibly proud, the Cornish people, and, and and you know you have to you have to do your research in order to do one of their favourite characters justice. So it's you know it, it was there was a lot of pressure, but it was just so exciting. And um, and I remember walking onto set for the first day, and it was the scene where I have to sing to him. I think I think it's episode five. I don't know, but it's I have to sing to him, and you first realise that they're falling in love. So, I mean, what a place to start. Not only was I having to sing to someone I barely knew and in front of other cast members, which is terrifying, but it was also right in the middle of their love story of sort of falling for each other for the first time. And that was just terrifying because everything from that moment, you have to, you have to keep, keep a track of yeah yeah I, that, so, we, that's also the thing we'll talk about i think that sense of keeping your own continuity telling a story out of time you know that's yeah. part of the real skill that we need to develop i think but just to yeah. go back to the rest the, the research that you're doing 
Um, are you doing that research off your own bat? Are you doing it on the internet yourself? Are you reading the books yourself? Or are you doing it via production? Are they giving you the things to read? Are they giving, are you using them in, in this period before you've started the job? Are you using them to direct your research or are you doing it yourself? No, I'm doing it myself, but there was also a really great historical advisor called Hannah Grieg, who was fantastic. And so she was able to come in and tell everyone about the etiquette of the time and, and give us a bit of information, which, you know, some people may have looked up, some people hadn't. I I personally knew a lot of what she was saying, but it was just helpful to have someone walk you through it. And, and also there's so many modern modern things that we do now without really even realising we're doing it. So to sort of have someone pinpoint that and say, you can't do that. That people didn't shake hands in that in that day and age, and and even things like that, you know, tiny tiny moments that immediately give give the game away. So and things like social class, gender politics, things like that that we now take, you know, we have a take on. It's very it's very important, I think, to make sure that we're not taking the things that we have for granted when we're in period drama. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yes, yeah, so so just going back to your previous question, it was it was a mixture of the two. It was a lot of lead research by myself, and then a lot of research that that they sent our way, and then just a lot of working together as a team as well. You know, there were lots of things like dance recital rehearsals that you know I was totally useless at. I've got completely two left feet, but it worked quite well for Demelza, so you know it was fine. And how about there, something like the look of the character, uh, how she appears? I mean, we can talk about accent as well, uh, your hair, for instance, things like that. You take ownership of that. But then does that have to go through a chain of command on this? Is, you know, does everything go via Debbie and stuff? Or are you, you're, as the individual playing the role, are you saying, I want this, I want her to look like this, I want this stuff? How do you take ownership of it? So initially, uh, I, I wanted Demelza to be a redhead. Um, I just felt it somewhere inside my core. I was like, no, this character's a redhead. This is how I want her to look. This is the kind of style that I think she should have. So I had a very definite idea of what I wanted the character to look like and to be like. And I wasn't afraid of changing my look or not being pretty or, you know, whatever. It, none of that bothers me. It was then convincing the producers that I was right and I remember saying to the main producer at Mammoth Screen she's a redhead she's definitely a redhead and he was saying oh I th I saw her as a blonde no I think we should go blonde and I was like no 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 she's she's a redhead absolutely and then I basically just dyed my hair red and gave them no choice but to try with some red wigs which we did and then it was great in the end we we, we it took a really long time to get it quite right but we, yeah, we found this look and then... I can't imagine her being blonde. It's so strange. It's, so weird, it's like yeah. you've, you've so ownership of it. And, you know, it's just that thing of, it's so, her, you know, whatever her character is, but it's such the look now, isn't it? It's so strange. Yeah, it's really strange. But it's interesting because I, I think if I could... Um, well, I, I guess for me... My makeup artist, a woman called Abby Brotherton, 
who is just so fabulous. And I hadn't met her before Pole Dark. She was new. She was introduced to me by the makeup designer. But she just totally got me and she totally got the character. And so what she enabled me to do was to hand over my character to her in the morning and she would make me into Demelda and I never had to worry about a thing. I never had to say, I'm not sure about this or can we just do this a bit? She just got it completely. And that was such a gift to be able to only concentrate on your performance and, and what you're giving and to, to have someone, that, if I could be as bold as to say this, I'd say that there are two people that played her. I'd say it was me and Abby, because that that is totally, for me, I struggle. If I feel like I don't look like the character, if there's something I'm not quite comfortable with, I can't, I can't do the best job that I could do. And so to be able to to have her every morning just create the character for me and that I, basically I could just step into her shoes. And did you feel it the was, same of the same with costume? Did you see, feel the same that you had ownership of that part of the development? Yeah, I did because I think by the time series one came out, I'd worked really, really closely with the costume designer on that to create a certain vibe for Demelza, which we were then able to adapt throughout the series. But I was very strong about what I wanted the character to look like you know I'd fought so hard to get the part I wasn't going to just suddenly you know not have an input either and and I think you know it's a lot for people to take on because I think they were you know everyone has their own ideas about how the character should look but what was amazing about all the costume designers is they totally embraced this vision that I had and because Demelza is a free spirit because she doesn't fit in I had the sort of free reign to be able to be much more creative than perhaps the others could be so it was actually just a gift and and just the most amazing collaboration to work with different departments across the board and and eventually create a character that that was all down to everybody putting putting in their their bit I couldn't have I couldn't have done it without the support and the trust of the makeup department, but also the costume department. I mean, that sounds wonderful, but sometimes in our profession, we do meet, we do clash. You know, you've got the strength, you've got the, you, you know, of your opinion. Uh, but when you meet resistance to that, um, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that resistance if you feel that you're being shut down or you're you're not being listened to? Uh, is that confrontation or is it, a, is it a way of just taking people aside or do you get your agents involved or how when when we have that and I've had it a lot in my life but how do you deal with that sense that maybe somebody isn't going along with your ideas or even just isn't listening to you how do you deal with that I'm I'm not very good at that if I feel like someone's walking over me particularly my vision I get very upset about it but in the same way, I try and be a very calm person and I always think things can just be sorted out by having a chat, by talking things through, by giving up, if something's going on and you're filming, giving up your lunch break and going and sitting there and talking it through and, and ironing out your differences. I think, you know, there have been occasions where I've had to get an agent involved, um, but it was actually I was actually on pole dark because it was like series three or something and the makeup designer who was doing series C didn't necessarily want Abby and I was like 
well, that's ridiculous. I can't do it without her. And I fought tooth and nail to get her. And, and you know, there we are, five series in. She did every series. and But that's, like, I actually had a complete breakdown about that and, and thrown my agent in floods of tears. And, and, and it became an OCD. I could not have done the job without her. It makes me feel sick thinking about it. It's It was just a... It's such a uh, massive relationship. It really is. And it's, it's people often, whenever you talk about the relationship you have with a makeup artist, people think it's about vanity. And actually, a lot of the time, it's completely the opposite. Yeah. But it's because it's the first person you see in the morning, the last person you see at night, usually. You know, there's such a bond. They're the people who can come in, step into the set and be with you at some times. You yeah. know, it's a really important... And if it's not right, it can it can affect everything creatively. Your mind, what your, you know, your intentions, your day. It has to be really, really... I mean, then that's why people have their own personal makeup artists. But it ha- it's such an important relationship. It really is. It really is. And it's such a long time as well. You know, it's often these jobs are six, seven months. And that's an incredibly long time to spend with one person. But also what you're doing, certainly in in some scenes, with emotional scenes in particular, some people need different aids in order to be able to cry. But I just tend to go somewhere emotionally and I need someone that can read that in me, who knows when to approach me, who knows how to do my makeup. The last thing you want sometimes is someone coming in with blotting paper and getting all over your face and getting your shiny bits off when you're trying to emote. And it just drives me mad. But again, there's a way of handling it. My way is always to just say calmly, look, can we... Can we just talk about this? Can we find a way that works for us both? I'm more than happy to step off the set. It's a collaboration. We'll do this together. But when I'm on the set and just before the role, I need my time. This is this is my job now. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's. It's it's a funny one, but it is it is doable through through conversation. It is, and I think that's that's important for us all to be able to ask for what we want. Sometimes we don't ask for what we want or what we need, and I think it's. You know, a good set is a set where everybody can say, look, either, and saying sometimes, I don't know what I need here, but I'm not getting it. You know, that's fine yeah. as well. Yeah. Can I just talk about before you, so you, rehearsals, did you have for each episode a table read and a rehearsal uh, before you started? Is that, did you have rehearsals before, say, your first episode or whatever? Is the rehearsal room there or do you just do all of that on set? So we had a read through uh, at the beginning of the job where we read certainly most of the episodes. I think there was a day where at one point we read all eight, which was a lot. Uh, But that's the only time that you actually sit down and read the whole thing. Uh, Obviously, if the episodes haven't been written yet for I'm talking about other projects, not so much polled up, but there would be a sort of rush read through after one filming day or something. But I always prefer not to do that. I think it is very important to do a read through because it's the only time that you get to sort of question things or to say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or can we work on this? Can we talk about this? Can we rehearse this? But in terms of actual rehearsal time, there was very little. And and just because of the nature and the speed at which television shoots, you cannot, you cannot have, you know, time to rehearse properly. So certainly if there were big fight sequences, they would get a couple of days rehearsal. But in terms of 
the really important dialogue scenes, I think they just expect you to turn up and do it, which I found quite creatively stifling because I've, I felt like we had to turn up with a performance, deliver it within a couple of takes, and then they'd move on because they simply didn't have the time to spend finding it, finding the scene. You know, you've basically got from the minute you walk on set, you read through it, you start blocking it, and then it suddenly becomes the scene you don't necessarily discuss. And then that's what I learned to fight for. I learned to fight for rehearsal time. I learned to fight for, you know, time to maybe change it up a bit and say, well, actually, this shouldn't, this shouldn't just be about movements and this shouldn't be about where you're putting the camera and how quickly and how easily we can shoot it. This is about the emotion of the scene and what's actually being said. And, you know, if we need multiple takes, we need multiple takes. It's going to be one of those things. And, and it it was quite tough. It was really tough. But what I what I really stand against is this this feeling of television moving at such a fast pace that you have to turn up with your performance. Absolutely perfect. And that's it. That's the only time you get. And I, I don't like working like that. And when you say you fought for that uh, rehearsal time or... Who are you fighting with? Are you fighting with the director of that day, that episode? Is it producers? I mean, where do you take that to, to, uh, to, to have that fight or to, to have that discussion maybe, you know? So the director is always the, the front man for the producers, but he is being driven by the producers. So if he doesn't complete the day, it's also a question of the first AD talking to them ahead of time as well. I always make sure that I know what's coming up in the week. And I can say, right, on Friday, we've got that massive scene. On Wednesday, I'd like to arrange for just a meetup. I don't mind if it's lunchtime, I don't mind when it is, but we need to just talk through it. It's a huge four page scene. We can't just go into it and shoot it then. So it's just a question of knowing the department to speak to. It always goes first to the first AD, then to the director. And then if they're not listening, producers, you know, because at the end of the day, there's no point in us being there if we're not going to do the best job that we can do. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm now not afraid to fight for the time that I feel I need, but certainly that was quite scary learning that in series one, you know, there's scenes that I watch and I think, oh, oh no, you know, I, I would, I, I wish now. But that's the only way to learn, isn't it? I think sometimes is by, you know, you sort of go into it in the early days and you go, oh, I wish I'd fought for more time there or whatever, yeah. you know, it's that thing. You watch it back and you think, how are you at watching yourself? I watch it once to learn from it, um, but that's it. I don't. I don't watch it again. Um, or at least, if I do, it's about ten years afterwards when it's all settled. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's important to be able to watch yourself to learn from it. Um, otherwise, how do you know what you're doing wrong, and how do you know how to change bits? And obviously, like anyone who sees himself or hears himself, I pick my myself to pieces. But it's. It's important, but I think it's also important not to not to dwell on it too much and, yeah, to move on from it. Because I know some actors who just never watch themselves. They just can't, really. And do I, you watch yourself? I do, yeah. And I used to watch myself as a younger actor a lot because I had an idea about what I was doing and I had an idea about what I wanted to convey in a scene and I had an idea of where I wanted to be. But sometimes I would watch the scene and think, oh, I'm not conveying that, though. I thought I was, but that what, what I'm doing isn't conveying that. It's much more angry or, you know, it's, you know, it's not what I was hoping to bring out. So 
just because I'm, you know, you know, I had to get to know how I looked in a way on camera, yeah. you know, and I, I had to get to know how a camera worked as well with myself, you know. So I did, yeah. I, certainly as a younger, as I get older, I watch myself less and less. <laughs> but that's, that's purely vanity. But uh, well, you touched on it before about continuity. We always, particularly in a long TV show like that, and particularly where you're doing uh, part of your show is these wonderful exteriors, these beautiful views down in Cornwall, and then your interiors, I presume, a studio or somewhere else. I mean, yeah. how do you break down your script before you get going? Are you, are you holding the whole story in your head as you move forward? Do you make notes? Do you have a book? How do you do that? Uh, my script is my notebook. It, everything's on that page. Um, but yes, I have a folder. I have a notebook as well. Um, I yeah, I basically have a a lot of a lot of documents. Um, the hardest thing I find about the continuity of things is the rewrites. So the, like the green pages, the pink pages, the amendments that are issued, because that you know they'll just change certain things and 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 suddenly they're issued and suddenly you've got 45 pages that you haven't had chance to put into a script yet and 45 pages of notes that you made on the original copy and then you have to find a way of transferring them and all of that but yeah in terms of in terms of the continuity I certainly with Demelza I knew exactly where she was at every point in in the series across the five years because I had to because that was the point of the character and that she goes on this enormous journey and it was really hard and it was yeah it was it's but did you know the arc of the five seasons before you went in did you, Sorry, did you know the arc of the whole five seasons before you went in or do you deal series by series? I knew the arc of Demelza, yes, but I didn't know how they would adapt it or I didn't know what they'd put in. And certainly for the last series, I didn't know quite what they'd do because we, we had to sort of make stuff up because there was such a gap in the novels. But... Um, but it was certainly just a question of one series at a time and, and working on the scripts that I had and, and using them. But yeah, I make, I make notes all the time. And, uh, and interestingly, I know that I know a lot of people, this, it that doesn't really have anything to do with making notes, but in, in terms of staying in the character, people have different ways of doing it. I personally have a crossword book that I take with me and I do a crossword on set. A lot of people have headphones, they put music on and zone out that way. But so much of it is being brave enough to be kind and lovely to people, which you can be, but also distance yourself because what's really hard is when people are approaching you and talking about their Friday night out when you're trying to think about, okay, so I've got this scene now, but then I think there was one scene one day on Poldark where we shot a scene from episode one and a scene from episode eight in the same day. And they were one after the other. And, it, you know, it was just like, right, OK. And, and particularly, sorry, I'm just waffling now. No, 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 that's great. Yeah, that's great. With filming in Cornwall, we had, to, we had to shoot everything that was exterior first. So in the first month, two months, we shot everything in Cornwall. So that would be episode one to episode eight. And it didn't matter. You know, they would just pick scenes because they liked the location. So suddenly you'd shot all of these exterior scenes. And then five months later, you'd shoot you walking through the door that you walked into, you know, five months ago. And do you lean on the continuity person as well? I do, but I, I, 
I'm more I'm more likely to make notes myself and then go up to them and say right so we've come from here and we've come from here and I present them with a list of questions of things I'm not quite sure about not 100% sure I'll say right so wait a second if that's happened there then why is that and then we're able to sort of clarify and same with the director I, I always have a list of questions for the director because also I think it's it shows that I've done my homework and I know, I know what I'm doing and and if I'm not clear on anything I'll, I'm very frank about it We'll be back with more chat after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. Do you have a director for the whole? So, if you're doing episode one and episode eight on the same day, do you have a, a do you have a director that goes across all those episodes, or or are you having directors you know, that that happens a lot in television that coming in doing two episodes or three yeah. episodes or what? And how do you what do you require from a director in order for you to be at your most creative? Um. Free reign, I guess, and also sort of minimal set, minimal, not set, minimal crew, you know, just sort of someone that is able to silence everyone and find, you know, what's important and find, you know, rehearsal time, really, from a director. That's what I crave. And and yes, we did have, we had three directors on Poldark normally, so they would do the whole they well they do all of their episodes but certainly in terms of filming in Cornwall if there was a scene from episode one in the middle of scenes from episode eight just the episode eight director would shoot it and they'd have to work that out between them which is very tricky because you know I'm often if it was a big scene they'd they'd get the other director to come in but again time allowing it's just a lot easier for for one director just go right and they I believe they would talk about it between them he'd say the shots he wanted but it it's that's something I wouldn't be comfortable with you know someone else shooting 
your material it would be very annoying but and when you're in a long series like that, over five series are you still getting from directors are they giving you character notes and emotional notes or are they saying you know we need we need to use this part of the set or are they giving you more sort of um uh, blocking notes rather than than creative character notes there's a lot of blocking notes more and certainly the further the series got i would say i got less and less acting notes and less and less character notes and that i found really frustrating actually because i didn't want just because i'd played the character for at that point 5 years i didn't want someone to not be able to give me direction so i was just very you know frank and i would say what what do you want what do you want from this scene what are you not getting what can i do to show that they could approach me because i think some actors are unapproachable particularly if they're settled in a way of doing a role and i noticed that they were giving a lot of direction to the younger cast members or the newer cast members who haven't done five series but were just sort of ignoring me and i was like no i i want to be set a challenge too you know i'm i'm just i'm just doing what i think is right but it'd be lovely to be challenged so you know it's it's that that is a tough one because ultimately i probably know the character more than they do or certainly as much as they do but that's what's interesting for me that's where the fire comes that's where you know them saying i want you to do it like this and then when a director does that i go oh yeah okay that's exciting i love that and i love that thing of somebody maybe someone coming up to me you know if i've been on a series for a long time a director come up to me saying um do you want to try something different? Shall we just try something a little? And you go, oh yeah, you know, because you, you're getting into a different relationship with someone, and they're throwing different things at you. I love all that, and I and I like to be challenged. You know, I do. I like to be challenged, and and, and I yeah. sort of know when something isn't. Well, I feel I know when something isn't right, but I love to have that time to to explore different parts of a character. It's great. Yeah, definitely. And I think a director giving you the free reign to try it different ways. And but then with that, that comes with time. And you know, the more time you've got, the more creative you can be. But sometimes you just have to go in and commit to a performance and then see how it lies and if they hate it, then you can sort of talk about it. But you at, at some point you have to take that risk of this is what I'm going to do with it. What do you think? And you said before about um, it's long days, it's a long shoot, it's, you know, months and months of, of doing the shoot. How do you look after yourself and look after your energy, both in the day but over the period of time as well? Crossword books and, and calm and quiet. And um, I'm just very strict. Like, I don't, I don't go out when I'm filming, you know, I just... Uh, I try and eat well, I try and do a bit of exercise. Um, it's very tough because for me on Poldark, for instance, I was up at half four, five o'clock in the morning, um, picked up at ten past five and then going into work and not getting home until nine. So you can't eat properly. Um, I mean, you get your meal on set, but you're in a corset, so you can't eat it properly. Um, but in terms, I'm just, I'm just very quiet. I just like, I like being... With my, I like having a book. I like having my scripts. I like just being calm in my trailer. I've got a dog who comes with me, and we just have a kind of zen time when we're not on set. And it's you do it's, have to pace yourself, don't you? Yeah, you do. You really do. And it's um, 
yeah it's not easy but it it's that's also part of the challenge you know you can't be you have to turn up and give 110 percent. and also the camera picks up everything everything so you know like you were saying you don't you don't watch yourself so much now but you did then you you learn by watching yourself you learn from saying oh my god that reads as an enormous expression but I only meant it to be such a tiny little hint of something but in terms of the camera picking up everything if you've been out the night before oh boy can the camera see it so there just wasn't time for that for me I just I just wanted to do the best job that I could do and and you know and also I feel not just about the way one looks but your mental agility you know if you're tired your mental agility to be able to make creative choices twists and turns in a scene you know you need to be uh in a in a fit state to be able to do that you know otherwise things just become monotone and just very sort of boring you need to have the mental agility to get through a scene you need to have looked after yourself i think absolutely but also just well yeah yeah exactly that but just in terms of taking taking time as well and 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 if you can live with yourself after you get back from a day when you you did bad acting because you weren't on the ball that's the worst if i have a day where for some reason for an inexplicably i can't get a line right i beat myself up something awful when i get home and it, and it's just if you can live with that knowing that you should have gone to bed an hour earlier and then that none of that would have happened it's it's awful but it's a mind game and it, the only person you've got to answer to is yourself yes and I also there's, there's nothing worse than the whole crew just looking at you whilst you come oh of it's just awful it really is it's just yeah crazy, crazy. No. and just technically let's talk a little bit about things like accent uh physicality you know She's described as feral in the first season and you really do, your physicality changes through the seasons. But in those early uh, episodes, you are like this animal, I think. You know, you do have this and your accent. Do you feel, also, I know that you have a musical background. Do you feel that that helps when you get into the tune and rhythm of accents? I think it does a bit. I mean, my musical background is my mum. She's a professional singer and my brother is as well. But you sing as well, don't you? Well, I I do um, in that I I was approached to make an album, which was just sort of hilarious. This fact that I would be asked to, and so I thought, oh, they can't be serious. So I said yes to it, thinking it'll never happen. And you know, it did. Blown me down, it did. And I was like, oh god. And I've never felt so out of my depth and uncomfortable. It was like being hit by the stupid stick, but. It was a great experience and I'm so lucky that I got the opportunity to do it and I, I did love it, but I would not call myself a singer at all. But you are musical and that, I, I think it's that, because I'm not musical, so I have to approach accents in a way that is just by listening and listening and listening and, and you know, it's a muscular exercise, it's a phonetic exercise for me, uh, it's yeah. about my ear as well, but, I mean, do you find accents... Do they come to you? Is it something that you have to work on? It's something that I have to work on, definitely. I actually find American the hardest because I'm a perfectionist and if it's not completely right, it's not good enough. So it's it's very, very difficult to get a bang-on American accent and I've got such respect for people who can. 
Uh, and it, it's one of those things that I work on all the time, just trying to improve it, trying to make it better. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think I think having a musical background does help with accents. Having an acting family helps with accents because the amount of times we just all walk around the house speaking in various different accents. I mean, it's hideous when you talk about it, but it's it's very useful and it's helpful. Uh, and it's also good at, you know, I, I'm not shy to try anything either, which is which is nice. Um but a lot of it, you know, with in terms of accents and, and physicality, I'd never done a Cornish accent before. I had some training beforehand. In the audition, I had a vague idea of what it sounded like. Obviously, I did my research on YouTube and tried to to get it quite right. Um, but again, that was... I remember one of the directors said to me... I said I was terrified that I hadn't quite got the accent right. And so I was saying to him, how is the accent? How is the accent? This is about two weeks into filming the first series. And he said, yeah, it's a bit West Country. And my whole, the, just the floor fell out from underneath me. And I was just like, oh my God, oh, what? And again, just fell down this sort of mad, spiralling, really insecure uh, thing. And then, and then couldn't couldn't do a scene without the accent coach being there so I, I think people have to be so careful what they say to you as well as as well as criticism you know it's important if he wasn't happy with it it's it's very important but there's there's so definitely ways of telling people things so you do have a coach though as well and there's a coach on set is there there was for for certainly the first series uh but then i was just sort of left to my own devices and then anything that wasn't quite right was fixed later in adr so and the physicality of her, did you did you try on different sort of physicalities? Did you try on different walks? Did you try... I mean, there's something... And also when she first meets him, I mean, that's what I wanted to talk about. We talked about before about the social sort of conventions of the time and he's of a different he's of a different class to you and stuff like that. And you're very different when you meet your father and stuff like that. I mean, that's very important. Is that something you just comes naturally or do you have to sort of work on that sort of physicality? I had to work on it. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it was all part of that journey. You know, if you change the walk at the beginning, she's got somewhere to go. Um, and so it was just a question of making her as feral as possible at first. And then some comedy as well and her learning how to walk, her learning how to dance and Verity's teaching. I thought, oh, this is great. This is comic material it's it's fantastic here we can actually have a laugh and just bring a bit of lightness to it so we were able to kind of do those ridiculous things and and it's and you know it it, it is just something that you again you have to have the bravery to just try because th there's no there's no wrong you know you can't do any wrong you can do something that people don't like or they don't want and they can tell you to change it but it was just important for me to try and really get rid of Eleanor and get rid of any any sort of previous, I don't know, version of period drama that I've done, just do something that was completely different. But also I think that's where that continuity comes in. You know, if you're jumping between one episode and, you know, one and eight or something, your character grows in confidence and you have to keep reminding yourself as you yourself becomes more confident on set or more confident with the people around you, you have to be reminding yourself that, oh, I'm in episode one here. This is, yeah. how, you know, and that that's where those continuity and notes work for you, I think, that you can go back and reference that. And yeah. Do you use backstory at all? I do a bit, yes. Um, 
Not so much for... Well, I mean, for Demelza, there's just so little really known about her. But in terms of research that you can do of the time, of the, the life that she would have had, and then obviously researching into her brothers and her dad, I was able to do that. But certainly for other roles, I do use backstory. I think it's very important. Um, you know, it, it, acting is about nuance, isn't it? It's about showing tiny little hints of things. You know, it's about... It, people are deep wells of emotion and, and tiny comments can bring up anything so you know I think it's so important to know where your characters come from yeah and it's also that psyche thing of like you know what makes you laugh might make me laugh what makes you frightened might make me frightened so it's about where do I pick up the things that make me me and that's always I find from a backstory how did my father deal with me how did my mother deal with me what where was my shame? Where's the th- what's the thing I'm trying to hide? You know, they're, yeah. they're the things that I work on. Yeah. And as, you know, there's... When we're, we're asked to do many things as an actor on, on a film set, one of the things we have to do sometimes very quickly with people we don't know very well is intimacy and sex scenes and things like that. How do you deal with that on a film set? How are you looking after yourself? How are you telling the story you know, protecting oneself in those scenes? I think the key to that is complete confidence. And I've done, I've done partial nudity and I've done no nudity at all. So I've sort of, I always base it on whether it's really important for the character. So for instance, in approaching intimacy scenes, Nowadays, they have intimacy coaches, which they never had when we were doing Poldark. They never, it wasn't a thing. But now it is. And I'm, I'm thrilled that it is because some people need it. And if you need that, if you don't, for me, it's all about trusting your director, trusting your crew to be respectful and trusting your fellow actor. And if there is any doubt amongst any of them, then take whatever you need, take all the help that you can get, because there's nothing quite like it. In terms of nudity, there's nothing more sort of strange and terrifying. But also in terms of creating a relationship with with another actor, someone that you've never met, or someone that you've you only met a couple of days ago and suddenly you're having to do a scene, oh yes, but you've been married for three years and you know you're doing a scene where you're all cuddled up in bed together. I mean it's it's hilarious. I mean, the, the sex scenes in Poldark are laughable. And what you don't see is the fact that we're both wearing tracksuits underneath the, the duvet covers. And it's the most unromantic thing imaginable. And, you know, they, they say action and we do our job and then they say cut and we go, oh, right, OK. And then we carry on talking like mates. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a funny one. I think for me, rehearsal for those things is key, particularly if they're graphic or if they're you know if 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 the scene requires a certain something that's unusual it's very important that you have time to talk about it to rehearse it work very closely with the costume department so that you feel as secure as possible and again with the director you want to know what the shots are you want to know what exactly he's looking for what he wants or, or she and you know it's just it's a very tricky one I've I I did a film called Colette recently. Um, recently, I say it's about a couple of years ago now, um, and that was the first time I had to go completely nude on on the top half, and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, and it it was fine in the end, but it just 
I just, I'd never, I'd never done anything like it. They took very good care of me. But then I've been on sets where people haven't taken care of me at all. And, you know, when I was, when I was 19, I did a series and someone said, um, oh, come on, you're, 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 you're nearly 20. You should expect to take your clothes off. Can you imagine if somebody said that now? That just wouldn't happen. They'd never work again. So, it, you know, the times are changing and people are becoming much more aware of how how careful they need to be about these scenes. But I think for me, the key is confidence, knowing your own worth, being able to say no and walk off the set and call your agent and make sure as well you've gone through it with your agent. Make sure you know exactly what your rights are what you've agreed to in your contract. Make sure that you know absolutely everything so that when you walk on the set, you've got the confidence to be able to say, no, I'm not doing that. No, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I'm delighted about the intimacy coaches that are coming onto sets now because, you know, we've always had fighter rangers and stuff like that. And I think, yeah. you know to turn around to uh, somebody that's between you and the director. Because sometimes, you know, of course, directors can be bullying and stuff, but also they can be time poor and wanting to get it and therefore they become quite crass in their notes or, you know, yeah. they they can be clumsy or whatever it is. And productions can as well. So to have something, somebody there who's purely there for you as the actor uh, to be able to say, I don't like this or I'm happy with this, this is fine, you know, just an intermediary who's there to look after that. I think that is brilliant. And I wish they'd been around when I was a younger actor because, you know, it, it, you just, you can get pushed into things that you think, God, I should never have done that, you know. But it's yeah. it's so great that that's happening now. It's so important as well to talk to your fellow cast members as well, though, because I know that certainly with Poldark, there were a lot of young women coming into it, not as experienced or not as as hard-nosed, as my mother says I am, as me. Um, but I would always make sure that if I knew they had a sex scene coming up, I would take them to one side, boys and girls, and just say, are you okay? Are you comfortable? Are you happy? If you're not, I am here. You can talk to me. I'll be in my trailer or I'll be on the set if you want me to. I'll keep an eye on what they're seeing. Because sometimes it's just nice to know that if you wanted it, the help is there. And, and I think that's so important in terms of, I wish someone had said that to me when I was 19 and they didn't. I think yeah, that's essential. I think like as a, fighting it on your own. Yeah, I think that's essential. I think as a group of actors, we have to look after each other. So if you see somebody else or, you know, you read a scene and you think, oh, I wonder if they're happy with that. You've got, I think it's great, particularly as the leading actor, but as any actor, just to go forward and say, look, I'm here. If you're, if, if you feel, if you're yeah. feeling bullied, you're feeling, you know, sort of uh, pushed into something come to me and we'll all we'll fight yeah. it together you know if you're happy that's yeah. fine but if you're not let's let's address it together yeah definitely and can I you know obviously you didn't you couldn't have known going into it what a huge hit it was going to be but when it did emerge as this massive hit how how did you deal with that as an actress I mean you've said you're and you are very private and stuff like that I mean did you have a line of the stuff that you would do publicity? Is there somebody looking after you publicity-wise? Are you looking after yourself inside there? You know, again, this is a part of the job, I think, sometimes that we don't get to talk about because it's sort of expected that we should love all this sort of side yeah. of the job. But it is, it's, it's pretty tough, I think. It is. It's very strange. And there's nothing 
there's nothing quite like people reviewing you and your performance and and it's so important of course but it's equally incredibly hard to take if you get a bad review and you read it and and it's incredibly it can really open up a lot of mental health problems and and you need to be able to talk to someone about it but for me um I have a I have a brilliant team of of people that look after me my my agent Nikki Van Gelder has looked after me since I was 13 so she's like a mum and and that's amazing and and you know we we have a brilliant relationship. I I trust her completely, um, and then I also have an amazing publicist who is just hilarious in trying to convince me to leave the house. You know, because I'm just like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. And she's like, please, it'll be really good for you. It's you know, it's a really good opportunity. It will open up doors for other work. And I'm like, mm, okay, maybe. But it's yeah. I mean, I, a lot of it is just again trust in your team and and being close enough to them and them knowing you and knowing who you want to be and what you're in this business for. You know, there are a lot of actors who are in it for the fame and fortune and love those things. I'm personally not one of them, but it's you know, it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, and and it's it's just again just very important that you have someone to talk to and that you you know, if you're feeling low or if someone said something negative, I have a funny relationship with social media. I have Instagram because I was told that if I don't have it, I won't work. So I have Instagram, but I am very private about it. I don't, I don't use it an awful lot. I just promote the things I want to promote or I give people glimpses into my life because apparently that's what you have to do now. So I try and do that. But equally, I want to be known for my work. I don't want to be known for anything about my personal life you know it's it's just not it's just not me but it's also that thing of not just it's being in a show where you suddenly realize that it's a success that you know you've got something now you know all that work that you've done it's being paid off it's being reflected back at you and it is important isn't it then to sort of realize why you went into that job particularly over five seasons you're thinking, okay, every season, you know, it's another big publicity thing. They're asking for you to do photos as well as you doing the scenes. Suddenly, there's an uh, there's an extra cameras on the on the set which are not there to film the story, but to film the story of the story. You know, there's, we're asked to do a lot of stuff around the actual job as well, aren't we? And I think yeah. you know, juggling all those balls. I mean, I. I hate it. it's called EPK, isn't it? That they have this unit on there to pick up stories and interviews with you whilst you're filming. Organising all that is really strange. And when you're a huge success like Poldark is, then you have more of that. So it's just being able to, I think it's what I'm trying to get to is that sense of always being all right to say, I'm not happy with this. And remembering why you're there in the first place, which is to tell this, to do this character and to tell this story. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, you know, people with the the stills photographers, they're trying to do their job and I completely respect that. But sometimes there isn't the time or sometimes you're, you know, you're emotional in a scene and you don't want to recreate it so they can get a picture of it. It's, It's a very strange thing. But again, it all comes with that bravery to say, actually, no, we're here to do the scene. I'm here to do my job. I get that this is a is a strand of that, but there are other ways in which that can be achieved as well. But I think in terms of in terms of Poldark's success, it was 
just amazing. It was totally mind-blowing. Like, nobody expected it. We all signed these five-year contracts not really expecting it to go to five years because very few things do these days. But it did. It got this amazing response. And, and I think in some ways, you know, how suddenly there is a need for something like that. And, and it fulfilled that need at the time. And, uh, and, and for me, it's given me such confidence when I, when I walk into a room now I've got that behind me. Uh, when I walk into an audition, I, I, you know, I'm, I've got that as my body of work and it suddenly, you know, people know you as an actor, which is all I ever wanted was the opportunity to be able to get more work based on work that people have seen me do and they've liked. So, so that's been, it's been the most fantastic springboard. There were moments where I felt frightened and I felt trapped because I was in something for five years and it was the same character. And like we said before, I didn't want to be typecast or pigeonholed, but at the same time knew how lucky I was and knew how many people would literally give their right arm to be in my position. So you have to, you have to really pinch yourself and remember just how lucky you are. But at the same time, it's, it is really tough. It's really tough. And, and, and it doesn't end when you finish filming it, you then carry it with you and you you then deal with all the publicity and the criticism and the faceless trolls that think that they can be horrible to you and then weird men chasing you down the street with cameras. It's a very strange situation, but it, it is something that you... I wouldn't say you go into expecting, but you go into knowing that it's there's a chance of it, there's a possibility of it but it's entirely how you live your life and whether you court it as the kind of life that you're able to have. I, I'm very happy. I live a very private life and, and no one really knows that much about it. I think that's important. And then that, for the longevity, I think that's very important. Just lastly, when you look back on it over the five seasons and you think about her and you've said in the past that she taught you lessons, I mean, what do you, what do you take away from the five, five seasons of doing this fantastic character that you created. I know it came from Debbie and I know it came from the, the books and stuff, but you brought so much to that. What do you, what's the one thing that you think about when you think about her and, the, and those five, the, the whole arc of story? I just think how lucky I was and what an amazing opportunity. Uh, and I just thank my lucky stars. You know, I, I think to have had that opportunity to learn in the way that I did and it has it's shaped my career and and there's it, I'm just so fortunate to be able to say that I'm so grateful that it was that role for that long and and I've I learned so much I made some amazing friends and and learned so much from working people around around me and and realizing who I want to be as an actor realizing how I want to work, realising how to behave on set and learning from other people and, and, and shaping myself in that way, you know, getting, getting my point across, getting what I want, but at the same time doing it in a respectful way that I haven't upset the balance in, in other ways, you know. So it's, it's been a real, a real challenge from start to finish and I, I loved it. I, I learned a lot from it. I can't watch it yet. I'm not ready to go back to it. I was asked to do 
an audio book recently that was related to it and it had to be a Cornish accent and I just couldn't I just couldn't do it it made me it made me panic and it, and I can't describe that because I loved it but I I can't I equally I can't do it without everyone else I can't go back to it without the rest of the cast and without it being the same people I, I can't go back into Demelza's shoes if Abby isn't going to be there do you know what I mean it's, it's not it's not a party trick it's not a party trick, no. Um, and people say to you, you know, I'll go and do the accent. And I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. I can't just pluck it out of thin air. So, so I think I've learned an awful lot from it. Uh, mainly the biggest lesson is the kind of actor I want to be. Well, it's been wonderful speaking to you. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it all and you're amazing uh, in it. And uh, thanks for joining us today. It was wonderful to talk to you. Oh, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Great. Who Am I This Time? is a Just Voices and Doolally production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.